0: Today's text is from John chapter 19, John chapter 18, verses, uh, I'm actually, your bulletin says verse 37, but I'm going to push it back to verse 36. We're going to read John chapter 18, verses 36 to chapter 19, verse 16. Listen to the word of the Lord. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Chapter 19 Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him, saying, Hail, king of the Jews! And struck him with their hands. And according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and and the authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, "If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar." So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat him on sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. This is the word of God. The question I want us to consider today is this. What shall I do with this man, Jesus? This is the question that Pilate wrestles with in today's passage. This is, to us, for us, the most important question that any of us will ever be faced with. What will I do with Jesus Christ? This is a question for those who have not yet made the decision to follow Christ. But it's also a question for those of us who already believe in Him. Because the decision to follow Jesus, the decision to trust Him is made over and over and over again in our lives. Over the course of our lives, there will be 10,000 tiny little decision points that we'll make that will either push us toward Jesus as the King or pull us away from Jesus as the King. And my hope for the next few moments is that we will see a reflection of ourselves in this man, Pontius Pilate's, and that we'll see Jesus in a way that he could not. So this is what we're going to do for the next few minutes. First, I'm going to set us up by giving us some information, some background on this man Pontius Pilate and why he's uniquely positioned to either condemn or release Jesus. And then I'm going to talk about the three facets of Jesus. The three, the three things about Jesus that Pilate must consider. And how we must also consider Jesus. Jesus. So these make up our three points. These are in your bulletin. Number one, there is the problem of the truth of Jesus. Number two, the problem of the authority of Jesus. And finally, number three, the problem of the the kingship of Jesus. So before we get to the points, I want to spend a few minutes to look at who Pilate was and how he ended up in this situation because it's really important for us to understand who is this governor? uh, Why does he play a role in this account? Pontius Pilate, we take for granted how deeply ingrained he is in this story. Um, Pilate, he shows up in the Gospels, in all the accounts of the crucifixion of Christ. He's written about by multiple sources outside the Bible, so he was a historical figure. And have you ever considered this? The Apostles' Creed, this creed that all Christians have been reciting since the 4th century. It only mentions three humans. It mentions Jesus. mentions the mother of Jesus, Mary, and Pontius Pilate. I think there's something significant about this man. Pontius Pilate was a governor of Judea. Um, he was placed there by the Roman government, and he oversaw the region, and he had soldiers to enforce enforce the rules. So he was kind of like um, a governor or a mayor that had the, the armed forces to enforce what he was supposed to be in charge of the rules and like most politicians pilate he had aspirations of gaining more respect and more stature and more influence and power and his, po- his his stop in judea his his term in judea was just a stepping stone for him to go elsewhere he wanted to gain more respect so this was judea was a stop along the way to that end As a governor, it was his responsibility to ensure that the peace was maintained in the region. And even if this was an uneasy peace, if you remember the the background of the relationship between the Jews and the Romans, the Jews hated the Roman oppressors. They hated them. And the Jews also hated Pilate. Not only because he represented the Roman rule... Uh, But also because of some of the things he did. Earlier in his term, he put to death some Galileans and he mixed their blood with the blood of the sacrifices of the Jews. And in the eyes of the Jews, this was a desecration and the Jews never forgave him for that. So there is bad blood between the Jews and Pilate. And yet they still must interact with each other. The text tells us, um, and this is what we we read last week when Pastor Michael was preaching, that the chief priest, they bring Jesus to his headquarters on Friday morning. And Pilate asked them, why did you bring this man to me? He has nothing to do with me. He's He's asking them, he's your prisoner, you chief priest. He's broken your laws and therefore you should deal with Jesus on your own. The charge of these religious leaders was this, that Jesus has been misleading the nation. He's been claiming to be a king. The text we read says he claims to be the son of God. He's set himself against King Caesar. And this is a capital offense. But for the Jews, it's unlawful for them to put a man to death for breaking the law of the Romans. Therefore, the the, the Jews want Pilate to do their, their dirty work. And the religious leaders, they know that they have leverage on him. Pilate's superiors, they would inevitably hear about how he dealt with his prisoner who claimed to be the king. And there could be only one king. There could be only one king, and his name was Caesar. And it was Pilate's job to enforce that rule and to ensure that no one from Judea would threaten the stability of the throne. The chief priests, they they know that Pilate, he cannot ignore the charges. And they know it's going to be really difficult for him to release Jesus, and this puts Pilate in a really difficult spot. What will he do with this man, Jesus? If we zoom out and we look at the story uh, on a broader level, we we, and as we look at how Pilate interacts with Jesus, we can see that Pilate, he doesn't want Jesus to be killed. He wants to let Jesus go. Consider these following instances that we find in our passage, and I'll, I'll just highlight what we read. Um, and there are more in the other Gospels, but I'll just read what we find in John. First, he questions Jesus privately. He gives Jesus the opportunity to defend himself against the charges. That doesn't work. And then Pilate has Jesus flogged. This is what we read in the first couple of verses of the of chapter 19. And this may not sound like an attempt to release Jesus, but the thinking of Pilate was that maybe he could satisfy this mob. Maybe if they if they If they flay him, maybe if they beat him, then this will be enough to satisfy the demands of the crowd, and he could do this without killing Jesus. His thinking is maybe this would be enough, but that's not enough. Pilate objects to the charges against Jesus three times in this passage, he says, "I find no guilt in this man and finally. Pilate invokes the tradition of of releasing a Jewish prisoner during Passover. And this gives the people, the crowd, a chance to choose between Jesus and this man Barabbas. And the text tells us he is a robber, he's a murderer, he's a thief, he's someone who who has been uh, conspiring and plotting against the government. And the thinking of Pilate was, Given the stark contrast between this man who is obviously innocent and this robber, this threat, the choice should be easy. Barabbas was without a doubt, he was the one that was deserving of death. So we can see in this passage, Pilate is exploring every avenue for releasing Jesus. But it's not because Pilate is particularly fond of Jesus. In fact, To Pilate, Jesus and this this whole event is just a nuisance. This is an unwelcome intrusion. It's not something he wants to do. But in the end, as we read, Pilate is the one who is responsible for condemning Jesus to death. He did this because to let Jesus go would cause a great amount of unrest and would further deteriorate his relationship with the Jews. And his thinking was, I need to buy peace by sacrificing Jesus. And if you remember the Apostles' Creed, this is what we remember Pontius Pilate for. Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. So this is the background of Pilate. And when we look at Pilate, I want us to think of Pilate not simply as an incidental character in the story of Jesus. As I said earlier, what I want us to do is consider how this man is a reflection of you and me. So if, I, if you're hearing my voice here at San Felipe Park, for those of us on YouTube or, fa- or Facebook, I hope you hear more than just a man who is spewing his opinions. I'm presenting to you the Word of God. The Word of God. God speaks to us through His Word. And every time He does, we need to respond to what He's saying. This morning, the same man that stood before Pilate is standing before you and me, and just as Pilate is forced to do something with Jesus, so are we so i 've identified three problems or three decision points that confront Pilate in today 's passage, and I want us to look at them now, so our first point, the problem of truth. look at verse thirty seven of chapter eighteen in response to jesus reference that reference to his own kingdom, Pilate comments on his identity as a king. Jesus, you're a king? And notice that Jesus, he doesn't respond to that other than just to acknowledge that Pilate said this. And instead, Jesus, he, he directs Pilate to the concept of truth. And if you've ever read what Jesus said, you know that he's confounding, very often frustrating. What Jesus says here, it seems like such an abrupt transition Why does he do that? Because Jesus knows the heart of Pilate. Jesus knows that Pilate's understanding of kingship cannot capture who he really is. My seminary professor, Mickey Klink, writes this. Since the world's category of king is too small to contain the fullness of King Jesus, Jesus describes his kingship and the nature of his rule by explaining his mission's purpose, which is truth-telling, and the result— which is truth-hearing. The world's category of king is too small to contain the fullness of King Jesus. And Jesus says, I've come to bear witness to the truth. I've come to bear witness to the truth. It's really popular right now to refer to personal truth. I've heard this a lot recently, and maybe you have as well. Live your truth, we're told. Be true to yourself. You do you. Have you heard these things before? Oprah Winfrey says this, What I know for sure is that you feel real joy in direct proportion to how connected you are to living your truth. And what Oprah and the culture is telling us is this, that we should live and think in a way that aligns with our opinions and our values and our passions. But the problem is this, that these things are always changing. Our opinions are malleable. All you need to do to change your opinion is watch a documentary on Netflix. Our values Are shaped by our culture. If you lived in Asia or Africa or any other continent, you would not have the same values you have now. Our passions are fleeting. And our truths, if they're subjective, they are not truths, they're preferences. So let me say this: Contra our culture, there is no such thing as your truth. We need a truth that's outside ourselves, one that is objective and unchanging, something that we can stake our lives on for the rest of our lives. In the prologue of John, we're told that Jesus, what did he do? He came into the world. He came into the world. That means that Jesus came from outside this world. He stepped into a foreign land. This is John 1. And if his mission was to tell the truth, as he says here in this passage, it means that the real truth can be found only outside what we see in the world. Truth is not found in institutions. It's not found in ourselves. Jesus says, I've come to bear witness to an otherworldly truth. This is a truth that goes far deeper than anything that can be measured empirically far deeper than what we might hear in our universities or our books. And this is why he says his kingdom is not of this world. You might remember Pastor Michael's message from last week. Pilate is concerned about Jesus' threat to the rule of the Romans, but Jesus is telling him that the truth of which he speaks is a much bigger issue than that. An earthly king can only deal with earthly issues, but Jesus is a king that has that has come to do what no other king can do, no matter how skilled or good or well-intentioned kings or presidents or rulers are. Jesus testifies of who God is. He speaks of the reality of heaven and hell and evil and holiness. He tells the truth about our righteousness and our sinfulness, and our need of a Savior. And Jesus, He presents Himself not only as a messenger of truth, but as truth Himself. You might remember John 14. What does Jesus say? I am the way, I am the truth, I am the truth, and I am the life. Jesus is the truth that transcends the wisdom of man. And Pilate is unable to see this. Pilate's problem is our problem. Look for yourself in Pilate. What will you do with this man who defines all of reality? How does your own life reflect the truth as it really is? Will you listen to the truth as spoken by Jesus? There's another problem in our passage, the problem of authority. This is our second point, verse 9. Pilate asks Jesus where he's from. When there's no reply, Pilate tries to intimidate Jesus. Don't you know, Jesus, that I have the authority to release you and to condemn you? Jesus tells him this. The only authority you have is given to you from above. So what authority does Pilate really have? Pilate thinks that he's the one in control. But in reality, he's only able to do anything because God lent him the power to do it. And so it is for us. Any encounter with Jesus should be absolutely humbling. In the face of Jesus, our intelligence, our portfolios, our careers, our, our, our accomplishments and ambitions, they are nothing. They are nothing. The strength that we have, it's a gift that's unearned. The time that we have, a gift, we cannot add one second to our life. Every beat of our heart, every breath that we take happens only because Jesus sustains us. Have you considered this? You may have heard of the sermon preached by Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. He read his passage, and by, by the accounts that we, we've read of his delivery of, the, of his, the sermon, he read Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God monotone. He just looked down. And people in the congregation, as he was reading this image of sinners being in the hands of an angry God, they were crying out. Some people were screaming. He, had this, he, he, he read the, the imagery of a spider hanging over the flames of hell, and all it needs to do to fall in there is for its web to be cut. And Jonathan Edwards had to tell his congregation, please be quiet so I can finish reading my, my manuscript. But what is this? This is, this is the people of God responding to who God is and them recognizing that they have no power in the face of God. It's absolute humility. We are not in control. So look for yourself in Pilate. Reconsider your abilities. You and I don't have ultimate authority over anything we don't have mastery over ourselves. As we consider this problem of Jesus' authority over us, may this humble us and may it cause us to fully rely on our Maker. And our final problem, the final problem that Pilate faces in this passage. Look at the progression of how Pilate refers to Jesus. Verse five: Behold the man. And then in verse fourteen: Behold. Your king. What happens between these two verses? The text doesn't tell us explicitly, but verse 8 gives us a clue. It tells us that Pilate became very afraid. I think somewhere in those moments he began to understand the significance of the man in front of him. If you remember the Old Testament, every time a human being comes in contact with God, what do they do? they tremble in fear. They're overcome by fear. And perhaps Pilate, even though he didn't recognize it fully, perhaps Pilate felt a bit of fear in the face of God in the flesh. Verse 12 tells us that Pilate, he seeks to release Jesus because he finds nothing wrong with him. But the Jews cried out, You are not a friend of Caesar if you do that. Don't let him go. In the next verse, we're told that Pilate sits down on a judgment judgment seat. If you consider the significance of this, it's gotta be chilling. Because here is a man who thinks that he has the right to make a judgment upon Christ. This is a conscious decision that involves his whole person, mentally and also he sits down on this judgment seat, physically. Pilate has weighed the evidence, three times he pronounces the innocence of Jesus, and yet he will let him be killed because he wants to keep the peace. The Jews, they put in front of Pilate a choice. Pilate, is it going to be Caesar or is it going to be Christ? To choose Christ would mean political suicide. To choose Caesar would mean that the peace is kept and the crowd is quieted. I want us to consider the contrast between Jesus the king that's mocked and the king that Pilate has chosen, Caesar. Caesar demands allegiance and submission. And it's the duty of the king's subjects to serve him, to protect the throne, to honor the king. The worst kings will take from you until you have nothing left. And even the best kings will disappoint. That's Caesar. And then there's Jesus. Jesus is the opposite of that. Yes, Jesus does demand our allegiance and submission. But we can trust him because we know that he is the good king. He serves those who follow him. Listen to this Jesus the king serves those who follow him, he protects them at the cost of his own life. Jesus comes off his throne. and He lifts up those who belong to him. Instead of taking from his subjects, he gives of himself completely, fully, constantly. He will never disappoint, and he's always faithful to those who call him king. Caesar or Christ, who will it be? Until now, I haven't mentioned what's the most unsettling thing about this passage. The first few verses of chapter 19 give us a picture of Jesus who is flogged and mocked. Flogging was a form of torture that was reserved for criminals. And John, he's very restrained in the details. Uh, But we know from other sources that it was incredibly violent. It's likely that Jesus was stripped completely naked. Perhaps he was tied to a post or he was thrown onto the ground and he was beaten with something called a flagella. This was a leather whip that had multiple extensions and on these extensions were pieces of iron or bone or metal attached to them. And as this was laid on the victim's back, these were intended to rip open the skin and to take chunks of flesh out of the body. It wasn't uncommon for victims of this torture to have the rib cages exposed, many died from it. Jesus could have been whipped uh, several dozen times, and by the end of the flogging, his back was completely shredded, strips, strips of skin and flesh hung off his back and this was done publicly which would add an element of public humiliation. After the flogging, the soldiers, they fashioned a crown of thorns, which was then pressed into his head. The thorns could have been two or three inches long, and some commentators suggested it was pressed into his skull, which would perhaps touch nerves in his head that would cause him agonizing pain. The crown was meant to mimic a wreath of victory that was placed on athletes, and by p- placing this, this mock victor's crown on his head, they were saying to the crowd, Look at this man. Does this look like a winner to you? And then a robe was placed on him, again as a sign of mockery, as if a king would be so undignified as this. The Romans present to the crowd Jesus as a king, a caricature of a king, not honored but humiliated, not. Victorious but defeated, not full of life but dying. This image is obscene and grotesque. What kind of king is this? The answer to that question contains the deep message of the gospel. Jesus is the king who is brought to the lowest place and will experience the deepest hell for his subjects. The gospel says that we were created to know God, to live under his gracious rule. But we thought we knew better and we rejected the terms of his rule. And like Pilate, we sat on the judgment seat And pronounced our judgment. That our ways are better than his. And God could have poured out his righteous anger on us. And he could have let us suffer the consequences of our rebellion. Which is death. But do you know that God is full of love for you? Even though we've mocked him just as Jesus was mocked. And even though we dishonor him, just as Jesus was dishonored, God's heart for you is still turned toward you in love. So he gives us Jesus who came to bear our sins and to conquer our hearts like any good king will do. In his judgment, God pronounced Jesus guilty and he pronounces us innocent. On the cross where Jesus is headed shortly after this passage, Jesus is killed for my sins and yours. And this is your King. Pilate hands Jesus over to death for peace, in the region, but primarily for his own peace. But do you know that until you submit to the one true King, that you will never have true peace. Colossians chapter 1 tells us that Jesus made peace by the blood of his cross. The song we sang earlier, O Christ, my King of sympathy, whose wounds secure my peace. In Matthew's account of this story, Pilate washes his hands in front of the crowd as a symbol of his innocence. He's washing himself of the responsibility of his death. What's he doing? He's saying, I want peace in this matter. But Pilate will never again have peace for the rest of his life. The only way we can have peace is if we will, not be, if we will wash our hands, not in water, but if our bodies, if our souls are washed in the blood of Jesus. And if we submit to his kingship, if we repent of our own abil- attempts, at ruling our own lives. We'll only understand the cross when we understand that we're just like Pilate's. The Apostles' Creed says that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, but we might as well say that Jesus Christ suffered under us. He suffered under us because it was the sins of you and me that put Jesus on the cross. This is why he died, and he did it gladly for you. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Behold your king. Behold your king and submit to him. Jesus is worth it. Will you pray with me? Father God, what kind of rule do we sit under? Is it the rule of a tyrant who takes from us? Or is it the rule of a benevolent king who loves us and will give himself to us completely? I pray that we would make it the latter. I pray that we would place our trust in in Jesus the King. Even for those of us who have been Christians for years and years and years, that daily we would die to ourselves and that we would live for Him. So God, would you impress the truth of the kingship of Jesus on us? I pray that our lives would be conformed to that truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.